Just by way of review, last week as we studied the first uh, 12 verses of Mark chapter 2, we looked at this amazing and very famous story where there were four unnamed men who went to get their friend who was a quadriplegic and they brought him to where Jesus was on a stretcher. And when he got to the house, the house was full. Jesus was teaching people the word of God. The house was so full you couldn't get not even into the house or up to the house. And so these guys got the bright idea. And they said, hey, what we're gonna do is get on the roof, we're gonna open up the roof, and we're gonna let our friend down. And as crazy of a story as that is, it's also a beautiful picture of faith, faith that you can see. And now that the friend was lowered down in front of Jesus, there was something remarkable that Jesus said that I don't believe was expected by anybody. This is what he said to the man lying on the floor. Son, your sins are forgiven. They wanted him to be healed. Everybody was looking for him to be healed. Certainly his friends that lowered him down wanted him to be healed. But Jesus always ministers to our deepest and most important need first. And friends, what that is, is this issue of sin. He wants to bring forgiveness. He wants to bring redemption because it is why he came. Uh, in case you didn't notice, know this today, I want to tell everybody that's in this room and online, and really for every person that has ever been born, we have this problem. This problem is called sin. Sin separates us from God, and the Bible over and over again would call people that are in this place where they have sin but no forgiveness, they would call that person lost. Jesus said this at the end of an encounter that he had with a man named Zacchaeus in Luke 19.10. He said, the Son of Man has come. This is why I came, to seek and to save that which is lost. Well, every person that still has their sin is lost. Every person that has been separated from relationship with God is lost. And Jesus came to seek and to save every person that was lost. Jesus is heaven's rescue mission. And now every believer, every person that has named the name of Christ, that has decided to follow Jesus, now you and I are part of the rescue mission of heaven. He also wants us to reach those that are lost. If you were lost and now you have been found, why don't you go ahead and say amen in the house today? And now, now your amen means that you also want to go help everybody else that's lost to be found. That's what Jesus is about, and that's what we are about as well. In the passage that we're reading today in verse 13 to 17, we're going to find very clearly that this is what it's all about. Jesus is talking about his mission and his ministry, and we want to learn from the Savior himself how it is that we take up this same heart. Here's what it says in verse 13. It says, and he went out again by the seashore, Jesus, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. It's a command. And he got up and he followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in the house. Many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, now get this verse, and they were now following him. Oh, isn't that interesting? And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And some say sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. And today we want to focus on this passage by just 
looking at a few observational points that will help us glean from Jesus in wanting to reach the lost ourselves. The first point is simply this, we must see people as Jesus does. We must see people as Jesus does if we are going to also reach the lost as Jesus did. Verse 13, I'll say it again, and he went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him. All the people were coming to him. This is everyone. This is all kinds of people. We're talking about the leper, the sick, the demonized, the sinner, the lowly, the marginalized, all the people, not just the religious leaders, not just the people that wanted to listen to a good teaching, not just the people that supposedly as society would maybe label them as more righteous than others, not just those, but every person that potentially felt like nobody else wanted to be around them, talk to them, or invite them into their world, these people who usually would feel disempowered in coming to a religious leader, all of a sudden felt empowered to come to Jesus. And there was something about Jesus, the quality of his life, that drew people toward him rather than away from him. Well, why is that a big deal? Because when people have an elevated status, when people are perceived as a religious leader in their culture and potentially in ours, You don't easily approach somebody like that. You don't easily approach somebody with an elevated status, a person that everyone wants to talk to, a person that everyone wants to be around. There are hindrances. Uh, And there's this idea that like uh, many of those that approached him, it's like, I'm not clean and I'm not somebody that you'd want to see or talk to, but they were empowered beyond their own hindrance and limitation. And that is saying something about Jesus. Everybody wants to be around Jesus when they truly see him as he is. They want to hear him. They want to touch him. uh, They want to be healed by him. Uh, We really want to be saved. And he is a perfect Savior. There's a contrast here. People did not want to necessarily be around the religious leaders or those that represented God in their day, but they did want to be around Jesus. It says that when Jesus walked by Levi, that he saw him. I know this is really simple, but he's walking by a tax collecting booth. I think it's a pretty easy thing to do when you walk by a tax collecting booth that you look the other way. You don't want to make eye contact in case you owe somebody money. You don't want to do that. It says Jesus looked straight at him. Jesus saw him. He wanted to see him. Now, Levi was this man who worked for Herod Antipas. It says that he was a tax collector. He collected tolls from his own people and also from foreigners. And we know that Capernaum is right there on the region that Herod Antipas would oversee. Herod Antipas is one of those puppet kings during that time that Rome would dominate. And and so as he worked for Herod Antipas, he didn't just collect taxes for him and for that region, but he also collected his own money. And many people would see him as an extortionist because he had to charge more or he did charge more. And sometimes they would charge 20% more than whatever it was that they were to collect I mean, his job was to check the caravans as they came by on the trade route, uh, to look at all of the goods from the merchants that wanted to sell at the marketplace. He was even the guy that would take the fees for the fishing license. Now, you'll remember this guy became a disciple of Jesus, and so he's a tax collector, and there's a couple fishermen that were also disciples of Jesus, and I bet you they transacted a couple times because they're in the same region. And so you can imagine that their previous transactions had some kind of tension in the beginning days of discipleship as they followed Jesus Christ. I can imagine that it was just a 
a kind of funny bunch to have them all together in one place following the same person. But that's what Jesus does. He takes different people and he brings them together. He takes different people. And what's the common denominator? That we all follow him. Uh, And it's an amazing thing. Jesus saw him. Jesus saw the tax collector and he didn't see what everyone else saw. I think that's an important point because everyone else, when they looked at Levi, here's what they saw. At least this is the word that comes to my mind. They saw a traitor. They saw a person who turned his back on his people and extorted them and exploited them. They saw a person that turned his back on God, turned his back on, even during that time, what was happening to the people of that day, a person that turned his back. This man is a traitor. When they saw him, that's what they saw. When Jesus saw him, he looked past that and he says to him, follow me. Are you thankful today that when Jesus looks at your life, he doesn't see according to your behavior, but he sees something far beyond that? Aren't you thankful that that's how Jesus sees people? And you know, if we want to be like Jesus, we are going to have to do the same thing. We're going to have to see beyond people's sin and behavior and and shortcomings and all that they've done to us or the bad that they've done in the world, we've got to be able to see something greater about people than maybe what is just on the outside. Jesus certainly did, and and the reason that he did is because he saw people according to his mission. He saw people according to his mission. Luke 19, 10 again, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to rescue the lost. He came to forgive sin. So he wasn't intimidated by anybody in their sin. He wasn't. He wasn't here to judge. He was here to bring out. He was here to redeem. He was here to restore. He was here to forgive. He was here to give life. He was here to give people a brand new life. Uh, Jesus didn't come with solutions. He knew very confidently, I am the solution. And so when he looked at people, he thought this way. You know, I would tell it to you like this. Jesus didn't look at people right? He didn't, he didn't look at them. He was looking for them. Uh, he was seeking and saving. I think this is a word for us because we want to be like Jesus. We live in a world that labels everyone. We live in a world of labels and, and we divide over those labels. We separate over those labels, but Christians cannot separate over those labels because we came to seek and save. We're going to seek and save. When you see somebody that you disagree with, when you see somebody that's living in something that you think is wrong, friends, they are targets of God's love through you, the missionary. And we've forgotten this sometimes. I I know that we don't mean to, but instead of judging and labeling and allowing people to live under their labels, we've got to be people that run after them when we see those things on the external, knowing that God has a calling and a purpose over their life. We know that's the truth because of who we are and what he's done. I had this vision yesterday when I was praying, and I saw a picture of somebody walking into the foyer as the doors were opened for them by the greeters. Just like you walked in today, there were some greeters who were smiling, probably, passing you a bulletin on your way in, and make no mistake about it, they're called greeters because they greeted you. Uh, We try to call people what they are. But in this vision, I saw people walking in and they had labels all over them. Just think about like a name tag when you go to a class. You know, my name is Ben. Everybody knows it now. 
And they had these labels all over them, maybe 10 of them on their back, all over their legs and everything. And the greeters, when a person would come in, they, they greeted them, but they were trying to rip as many of those labels off as they possibly could while someone was entering the door. And then the person came into the sanctuary and there was a, another person, I think it was Sandra, Sandra was there giving communion, but in the picture it was somebody else and they were also giving them communion elements, but ripping off the other labels that the person at the door couldn't get. And then it was me and Jared and Scott and Darby and others as pastors, we were going to greet people who were sitting in the chairs, and as I was greeting them, I was like, oh, you got a couple more labels, and I'm going to take the rest of those off, because the desire was to take off all of the labels so that when we stand or we sit in the presence of God together, we only want one label. And the only label that we want is, it's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that changes every person. It's, it's the, it's, that's the label. There is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, men and women can be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. That's the label that God wants to give to us, that we're blood-washed, Bible-believing Christians, and we know that the grace of God changes us, transforms us, gives us a new life. Jesus wants to give our life back, but a life is found in him, and that's what we are. We want to be people that take labels off instead of put labels on and divide according to those labels. Friends, we have disagreements with each other, We got disagreements with people that we live around, work around, people that we're family with. Those disagreements exist. I'm not asking you to act like they don't. I'm not telling you that they won't. I'm saying they will. But in the midst of that, what is our calling? Are we supposed to divide over those labels? Are we supposed to separate over those labels? Or have we forgotten, perhaps, what our calling really is? Our calling is to go after people that do not know Jesus Christ. I wonder if we're too busy putting labels on or allowing the culture and the media to do what they're going to do. Uh, What's behind all of this stuff out here, guys? What's behind? What is the spirit of the age and how is it affecting and infecting our minds? Well, I would tell you that using every vice possible, even for us good Christians, if that's what we would call ourselves, uh, even for you, uh, the enemy is coming after you to divide over these things. that We're talking about political, economic, racial, sociological, sexual labels. The Bible has been given to us to know what the truth is, but perhaps Jesus said things like this because he knew that we were prone to separate rather than to go after. He said, do not judge or you will be judged. In the same way you, you, you judge, the standard of measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why would he say that? Well, here's what Jesus did not mean. Jesus did not mean that we can't discern behavior. Jesus did not mean that we can't tell right from wrong. He wasn't saying that we can't determine that. Uh, The Bible's chock full of right and wrong. We're talking about a God who gave 10 commandments. Uh, Anybody that thinks God's like capricious or whimsical or changes his mind hasn't read the Bible. Uh, The Bible's quite clear. God's a God of principle. It is very, I mean, he he wrote it in stone. I mean, that's pretty clear. I'm going to write it in stone for you just so you can't undo it. I mean, it's like he, he wanted us to know truth. He wanted us to know right and wrong. He gave us a law, 630 some odd commandments to prove that men and women cannot live righteously. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came because we couldn't, but Jesus did. He gave his life for us in our place that those who believe upon him and come to him in faith and repentance would have everlasting life, be reconnected with their heavenly father, have a relationship with God again and come back into our created purpose, which is relationship with God. 
But what happens is, is we, as followers of Jesus, sometimes forget that we also are to carry the mission that he has. And in order to do that, if we're really going to be missional and missionaries, we have to see the same way that Jesus saw. We have to be able to look through the eyes of Christ and look past the things that we obviously see in people's lives. I want to tell you today, and, and, and there's a sense of just truth to what I'm saying. I, in myself, recognize that I do not have the right to speak to you today about this, other than that I have a testimony of God's grace touching me, transforming me, and that is what qualifies a person. That's what qualifies you, for you to be able to talk about Jesus. Your righteousness does not qualify you to talk about the righteous one. That is not the way that this works. And sometimes we forget where we came from. We forget what we needed, and when we forget where we came from and we forget what we needed and we lose touch with the grace of God, we stop reaching out our hand to everyone else. Instead, we separate. We draw lines and we, we label and we move away from. And friend, this just can't happen anymore. Uh, not for a church that's saying, I want to see every person have a legitimate opportunity to know Jesus Christ. Evangelism is not easy. Eva evangelism is costly. Uh, evangelism is costly. It will cost us so much to be uh, people that will cross lines, people that will go beyond what we see. I I'll tell you, I am not up here telling you that I'm perfect at this, I'm not. I have to remember every day that I've got to look past and seek out people and uh, even learn to know that the people that maybe I even disagree with should be the targets of my ministry and not the targets of my debates. The reality is that I've learned in my life at various times and I still have to keep learning the very thing that we're talking about today if I'm going to be missional. I remember I was in a prison ministry for like three years. I've shared some of this with you before if you've been around here for a while. But when I came to Christ, you know, I came out of a whole lot of mess, and that's the context for which I came. And one of the reasons I wanted to get involved in going into prisons and, and we, I got involved in Seattle Union Gospel Mission right away is because I wanted to give back and, and felt that I had a second chance. So many didn't. So many, they got sentenced to prison. They didn't get a, I mean, they get a second chance in eternity, but not in this life. So I wanted to give some of my life to people that I felt like, you know, didn't get that second chance that I got. Uh, maybe by the time they met Jesus or would meet Jesus, it would be too late for them, at least in the world that they're living in. So I ended up meeting a guy who was the prison ministry director of Seattle Union Gospel Mission, and he wanted to disciple me, and I just said yes and didn't know what I was getting into. He was a rough, tough guy. He's an ex-bandito, drug trafficker. Uh, you know, it was always funny to go to prisons with him because he had been in so many motorcycle accidents trafficking drugs. I mean, now he's saved, just, just so you know. But he had been in so many motorcycle accidents doing what he did that every time we would go to the prisons, he would set off every metal detector known to man. So they had to physically pat him down, and we were always giving him a hard time because uh, he had so much metal in his body that they had like pins and all that rods and everything uh, that it was, it was just kind of a funny thing. Like, hey, you want us to stay here, don't you? you? What are you bringing in here? We always gave him a hard time, but he was a guy that brought me into almost every major prison in Washington state. I've been to almost, almost every jail and major prison many, many times, probably a hundred times I've been to jails and prisons. We've been able to minister in church services and Bible studies and private meetings and all kinds of stuff. And I had the honor of doing that in my early 20s. 
And we were at Washington Correctional Center in Shelton, which is sort of the receiving center for prisons in Washington State. And we were doing four services that day. And a main service that we were at, the chaplain's assistant was a guy that was a lifer. He was there for a long 20 to life or 25 to life. And and I began to strike up a conversation with him. And I was just the guy at that time that brought in the Bibles. I was the Bible carrier. I was the carrier of the Bible for the guy that was going to preach the Bible. And I felt it was an honor. As far as I was concerned, I was really glad to be there. And, and uh, it was a big Bible too. I mean, it was a heavenly weapon. Some of you got those, you know, they're just, yeah. Don't use them as doorstops, guys. They're supposed to be read. Amen. All right. So I struck up a conversation with this guy and he told me the story where you know, he was a Previously, before prison, he was a contractor, he was a construction worker. Him and his fiance, back before he was in prison, went to this bar, he was going to get a drink and, and get a burger or whatever it was. I mean, I, uh, he was kind of a countryish guy, so it sort of sounded like a country song thing. Uh, not my flavor, but I'm listening to him. Anyways, he's telling me about walking by, he, he, he had a beer bottle in his hand and he's walking by this gentleman with his fiance and the guy began to sort of gawk at his... Um, at his fiance. And he was disturbed by that. And then the man began to say things, inappropriate things, disturbing things. And as the man said these things, he said something just sort of came over him. Now he wasn't drunk or buzzed or anything like that, but just something came over him. And he said it was overwhelming. And he struck up this altercation with this man and they exchanged a few punches. He had a beer bottle in his hand and didn't realize it. And he basically smashed the guy over his neck with the beer bottle, killed him. It cut his artery up and he bled out right there. And this one moment sent him to prison for the rest of his life. And he told me right there as we're putting Bibles out for the service, he said, you know, I, I, I regret what I did every day. I never thought that a fight would have ended in somebody's life ending. And, and yet here I am. It was one moment that changed the rest of my life forever. I mean, here's a guy who was a construction worker, a contractor, excited to get married. And the next day he's a convict, he's an inmate, he's a murderer. And he's living with the label. He's living with the condemnation. And it was in prison that he found Jesus. It was in prison that he found a mentor in the chaplain. It was in prison that he decided, I want to spend my life being the assistant to this chaplain. And he, he had a joy in his face. Uh, he had peace in his heart. It, it was, I mean, and it, it just, to me, it was one of those moments where, like, I realized it's so easy to label people and not realize what we, uh, what we must this is a man loved by God. This is a man who Jesus came for. This is a man who made a mistake. This is a man who sinned. Anybody in the room ever sinned? Anybody in the room ever enter into a moment that you can't take back? Sometimes it's worse than others. And here we have people all over, all over our world and they're under labels. They can't get, from, they can't get out from under. And, and our job is to not fortify those labels. Our job is to help them learn how to take them off. How do we do that? We preach the gospel of Jesus. He came for the sick. He came for the people that could admit that they needed help. He came as a physician to bring healing to those that wanted it. Oh, but first you gotta go through a diagnosis before you ever get the prognosis. Isn't that true? This man told me this and it helped me. It helped me to start seeing people the way I ought to. But here we see also in this story that if we're going to reach people in Jesus' name, we have to invite people into relationship Look what it says in verse 15. It says, and it happened that he was reclining at the table. Uh, the book of Luke chapter five is a parallel story. It's the same story, but it says basically that Levi threw him a party. That's my words, but it says Levi threw him a party. And it happened that Jesus was reclining at the table in his house 
Many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. Listen, they were following him. He throws them a party, and now every one of his friends are following Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, scribes of the Pharisees, saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They said to his disciples, Why is he doing this? Why is he having dinners with sinners? I was going to call this message Dinners with Sinners. I had to put it in there somewhere. It just felt right. I'm not slick enough to get, all, uh, to get that passed through you, though. Verse 14, Jesus calls Levi to follow, and the book of Luke says he left everything. He left everything. He invited him into close relationship to walk alongside. You know, in that culture, you don't eat dinner with people that you're not trying to be close with. That's close quarters. It has a sense of intimacy and closeness. In their culture, it's not something that you do. So the religious leaders were offended that he would do that. And that's why they asked Jesus' disciples, why would he do this? Why is he okay with this? Does he not know who they are? See, it's, it's such a contrast that the religious leaders, which can often be like us, we can often be like this. Why would Jesus do that? Do you not know who they are? See, it's what they didn't know that caused Jesus to do what they didn't understand. Jesus was with them because of why he came, which was for them. They just couldn't see and they didn't know what Jesus was about. Jesus was not concerned that their sin would infect him. In fact, it was the opposite. He knew that the righteousness that he carried was greater than the unrighteousness that they lived in. Do you know that? Friend, if you are a Christian, do you realize on a daily basis that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you? And the Bible says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And that's not just something we're supposed to quote when we're tempted by sin. That's something we're supposed to quote when we go back into the world and seek to reach people that are just like us. Greater is he who is in us. See, if we go into the world and we're infected by unrighteousness, that says something maybe about the life that we're living. And maybe we're not fully surrendered. Maybe we're not living. I'm not saying we won't have temptation, but maybe we're not living in the biblical principles that we ought to. Now, we're going to still sin. We're no longer sinners. We're saints washed in the blood of Jesus. But it's so important to recognize that the religious leaders had this perspective that if I come too close to them, then what they have is going to defile me. It's going to infect me. And the opposite is actually true. And Jesus proved it. Levi threw him a party. And as a result, all of his friends came and they followed Jesus. And we have to have relationship with non-Christians because this is what brings opportunity for the gospel. As we get closer to people, we share more, we show more, we serve more. The commission of Jesus is not wait for people to come to you because you're so amazing, and they're going to ask you about Jesus. The commission of Jesus is go and make disciples. Roll up your sleeves. Get involved in the world. It's messy. It's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. It's an arduous process. It's going to cost you something. I mean, this is what he's talking about. You're going to have to get into relationship with some people. Like Jesus, we need to look for them. We also need to learn that being separate from sin does not mean that we separate from sinners. There's a different way. Jesus talked about this in John 17. He said that we would be in the world and not of it. He called us out of that way of life, but he called us back to reach everybody else around us. And we can't be afraid and we can't be offended, and far too often we are. We are. Friend, I'm telling you, I'm in the same boat. It happens to me. It happens to me. 
We lose touch with the grace that Jesus gave to us. I say this uh, funny joke. I, I say it to my older kids. I don't know if my younger kids have been blessed by this amazingness uh, yet, but it might be coming to a, <clears throat> a home near you. <laughs> my oldest son has heard this many times, my son Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, if you're watching, which you should be, <laughs> I love you. Sometimes I will say this to him, I've said it many times, but I, in reading this passage, I'll call him and I said to him one time, hey, Isaiah, um, I was just reading the Bible the other day and, and there's this passage in scripture and it says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And when I was reading that passage, Isaiah, I just want you to know I was really convicted deeply that I haven't been the friend to you that I should be. I was so convicted that, you know, as Jesus was a friend of sinners, I don't think that I have been the friend to you that I ought to be. And I just want to tell you, I want to do a better job. And if you kind of catch what I'm saying, he, he laughs. And really what he always says is, oh my gosh, that's what he always says. Oh, it's a sort of, sort of a 28-year-old son thing to say to your dad that's trying to be hip and funny. Oh my gosh. What I, I bring that up because it's a, it's a joke. It's a caricature of something else that we're trying to say. You know what we're trying to say? We're trying to say that we can, we can become arrogant in the grace that we're living in as though we're the ones that deserve it. Uh, we can become high and mighty. We can become, some people would say, holier than thou. Uh, I don't know where that comes from, but I never say thou anyways, but... We can become holier than thou. We can become better than. We can become the ones that deserve grace. We can become the ones that are, 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 you know, we're doing the right things and everybody else is doing the wrong things. See, it's us and it's them. It's the righteous and it's the unrighteous. And you know, that's exactly where the religious leaders were all the time. And you know what? They lost touch with what Jesus was even doing. Jesus is the one that they're literally waiting for. And he stands in front of them and they can't see him. They can't recognize him. And it was exposed to them, even though they resisted it, that the very word that they preach, the very thing that they are saying is actually wrong. What they're saying might be right, but the way they're living it out is wrong. Their interpretation of it, their embodiment of it was wrong. Love God, love people. It wasn't coming through their life. Jesus was the embodiment of the law, perfect righteousness in a body. That's what Jesus was. And they looked at him and they were offended by him. It just seems like every step of the way, they were offended by perfect righteousness and love in a body. Uh, there were some things that they had to do, and I'm not saying everything that they did was wrong, but there is a really serious contrast that I think needs to help us too, because for us as Christians, if you're in the room and you're a Christian, you just have to admit, sometimes we have this tendency to move towards this arrogant, righteous position. I feel it just like anybody else, but when you can admit it, you can stay in touch with the grace of God that changed your life, and when you stay in touch with the grace of God, then you carry the grace of God to other people that you can resonate with, that you can say you are a target for God's love, and it's only by the grace of God that I know what I know, that I am where I am. It's not not because of what I've done, but it's because of his grace. And it's that kind of mindset that keeps us fresh and it keeps us missional and it keeps us reaching out to people. Why else would you invite people into your relationship world? Because you're trying to reach them. You're trying to serve, you're trying to help. And you know that if you've really found life, 
If you really believe in eternal life, if we really believe there is a heaven and there is a hell, we really believe you're either forgiven or you're not, you really believe you either have Jesus and you're on the right and narrow path, or you don't and you're on the path of destruction. If we believe that, then there's something that gets a hold of us on the inside and it won't let us go until we simply just yield to it. And that happens every day. That happens every week. That happens all the time. I, I see people get into debates and we're living in a time where, yeah, we got all the opinions. I, I personally, um, I believe the scriptures. I've watched people go the other way. You might be saying, well, pe- well Ben, some people go the other way and, and they start to act like sin isn't a problem. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. They start to act like, you know, uh, we just need to uh, not condemn people at all and, and Jesus just loves everybody. Yeah, he, he loves them to redeem them, but in order to redeem and forgive, we have to acknowledge that there's sin and there's something wrong. I'm not talking about walking away in some kind of progressive Christianity and acting like wrong is not wrong and, 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 the, and somehow Jesus doesn't see those. No, 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 Jesus gave his life because sin is really bad. Uh, We're not carrying a lesser message, but we know what it is to do in the midst of seeing really bad sin. Uh, We're not confused about it. Uh, So it's important that when we invite people into relationship and that we teach our kids what we're doing and why we're doing this, uh, that we know that God will honor it. He'll use it powerfully. I'm thankful for the grace of God. I remember a man came up to me one time and after a service I was preaching and uh, he was a heroin addict. I, I might have told you this story before, but he was a heroin addict. I don't even know if he was high that night. It, it was after a service. I was preaching at a church, and a man was waiting for me for like a half an hour, and finally I got done praying for people. At the end of the service, I went to him. I was walking out through the center aisle at the church, and I, he walked up to me, and he said, God gave me a word to tell you. And he, he, was, he, he looked like he was having a very, either a withdrawal or some kind of manifestation of, of drug, of drug addiction currently. And he, he walks up to me and he says, God gave me a word. And I was like, oh, okay. It was just sort of a strange experience. And I said, well, go ahead and share it. And he said, God told me to tell you, never forget where you came from. And the man walked out the building that night and I never saw him again. That's what he told me. He said, never forget where you came from. And everything in me, every religious bone in my body was trying to resist. Well, who is that guy? He's drug addict, you know, all that stuff. I'm just exposing myself. He's on drugs and he just, and I know where I came from and I love people. <laughs> it's like the inner manifestation of the religious Ben. I love people. <laughs> Look at, I give him my life. I'm a pastor. Did he not know that? Or, you know, you just sort of manifest that little religious, ah. Do you have that inner religious person, Matt? Do you? All right, come on, confess it, brother. Tell the truth. <laughs> Hannah, do you have that inner religious person? Come on, tell the truth today. All right. We're going to have a confessional right after the service, everybody. You too can be named alongside your confession. You can also be redeemed. It's the younger brother and it's the older brother, the younger sister, the older sister. Uh, it's like, it's interesting how you, be, you start out being the younger one in the story of the lost son and you, you become the older one so quickly you, you, you don't even realize it. It's the polar shift that happens to each one of us. We shift over to the other side. What God wants us to do is minister to the younger and the older. What he wants us to do is be like the father. Uh, this is what our calling is. We can't forget it, you understand? To reach people, we have to have a life that includes and doesn't exclude. 
We don't wash truth, guys, but we don't have to debate with people that are spiritually dead. I th- it's a funny thing to me. Like, I- I'll close. I'm-, I'm closing. I'm closing. All right. I'm not on my soapbox, but I'm just, in, a, in the culture that we're living in, I do think we've forgotten some things, and one, one of them is we forgot that if you're spiritually dead, you're not alive to truth. And the culture is washing people, but even if we legislate everything that we want, the truth is, and, I, and I'm not against that, I'm abs- I have a Judeo-Christian value system, I try to vote righteously and righteousness, I'm not ashamed to talk about that, we're not afraid of political issues when they become moral, 100%, but... I feel like sometimes people just think we can just vote it in and legislate it in without any changed hearts. It is not possible. It is not possible because sin has a way of corrupting every person from the top all the way down. Sin has a way of corrupting people in power that said all the way up to the top that they were going to do righteously. And then all of a sudden they get there and guess what power can do? Power can corrupt. And people get drunk with power and all of a sudden... They start to think, yeah, I get to tell people what to do. Oh, I get to dictate how things are. And you know what? There's only one righteous king who's going to make all things right. And even he does not make you or me do what he wants. He leads us into it. He teaches us about it. And he gives us choices. Wow. Even God doesn't command the human heart. That's not the theology we have. He doesn't, I should say dictate. He commands us, but he doesn't dictate. He doesn't coerce it. He doesn't force it. You get to choose. People will go right or left, and I don't just mean politically, but I think the shame is that we believe that association is affiliation. I associate with all kinds of people I disagree with. I don't affiliate with them. And I have had people, and I'm sure you have as well, people say, well, if you associate... Uh, with that person, it means you agree with them. No, I don't. I'm trying to reach them. There's a difference. I'm not scared to be around people I disagree with. I'm not scared of their ideas because I believe that the gospel and the grace of Jesus is more powerful than whatever they're saying. He wins hearts. I've had all kinds of statements said to me and I've seen it happen to many of us, but if we're going to reach people in our city and in our region, and in this nation, and the nations of the world, we've got to stop being afraid. If I said to a blind person, and we're outside, hey, do you see the sun? And they go, no, I'm blind. And I go, well, why can't you see the sun? What's wrong with you? I'm blind. Would you get mad at a blind person for not being able to see the sun? Probably not. It's very offensive. You might even be offended that I even brought that up. You wouldn't get offended that a blind person couldn't see something. So why is it that we get so disturbed that people who are spiritually dead don't know something? They don't know righteousness. And yet here we are just debating and judging. Friends, I do it, you do it, we're tempted by it. And there's going to be a lot of people in this world that are going to try to draw you into that fight. Don't get in that fight. Don't get in that fight. There's one fight that's worth waging. It's the spiritual battle that we're in. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Wrestle with principalities and powers. Preach the gospel of Jesus. Live the principles of truth. Shine the light of Jesus. Invite people into your life and then invite people to meet Jesus Christ. Because a sick person needs a doctor, 
An accused person needs a lawyer. A drowning person needs a lifeguard. And the Bible tells us from beginning to end that every person needs a savior. Let's not forget the grace of God. The prayer that I'm praying today, and as, as I close this, I want to pray this prayer over us. And I, I can't force you and don't want to to pray this prayer, but I want to ask you and invite you into this prayer that Jesus would open your eyes. Jesus would open my eyes to see people the way he sees them. It's not about eyeballs. It's about the heart, that, that our heart has to open. And sometimes when we talk about this, we deflect if you're in the room today and you're deflecting, you're deflecting and saying, yeah, the church doesn't do that. Stop doing that. Start looking in the mirror. This is part of the problem is, is that when we talk about this, we go, yeah, the church doesn't do that. They're terrible at that. Uh, that's the road to even deconstruction right there. It's, the church is really bad at that. Well, what about us? Don't deflect, receive. God, I'm not like that. I, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help me to see people. Father, help me to see like Jesus saw he saw Levi, he saw him becoming this man named Matthew who would write a gospel and be a disciple and a direct apostle. He, he saw a man in a tax collector's booth who became an apostle of Jesus and wrote part of the New Testament. Jesus could see something nobody else could see. I want those eyes. Anybody else want those eyes? Uh, we look at people today and we're not offended. We're not afraid. We go, I bet you this person could be a prophet of God. I bet you this person could be a pastor in the marketplace. I bet you this person would bring healing and salvation and deliverance. I bet you this person could be the mouthpiece of God, maybe even far more than I could ever be. I, I want that type of heart and I want those kind of eyes. Jesus is looking for such people and I pray to God that that's who we are. I, I believe that's the church that we are. God will give that to us if we ask. So will you ask that with me as we pray today? Will you stand to your feet and let's pray this prayer? As you're standing, let me remind you and those online, if you're here today or if you're watching and you have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ, if I ask you the question, are you forgiven of your sin? Are you made right with God? Have you repented? Have you turned from your way and turned to his way? If you haven't done that today, I'm asking you to do this. If you're online, type something into the comments and we'll respond to you connect with you. If you're here, me and some of the pastors and our prayer team will be up front. We want to pray with you to receive the forgiveness of God that you would be rightly connected to your heavenly father. He wants to be with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to forgive you. He's in the business of saving us. So please come forward after the service and we will pray with you. But for the rest of us, let's pray this prayer. God, we thank you today for this scripture. We thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, when you said this, you said, I did not come for the righteous, but for the sinner. The healthy don't need a physician, but those who are sick. And Lord, what you were saying is that everybody is sick, but to those that can recognize it, they will receive it. To those that are willing for you to look into their heart and address it on their sin to show us that you brought your righteousness. Lord, you're the one that can redeem all of us and everyone around us. And we pray today that you would give us eyes that see, you would give us ears that hear, you would give us a heart that is open to reaching people. And I pray, Lord, where we're offended, where we're afraid, where we're just debaters or where we're, we enter into that space, we're not saying that truth doesn't matter, but we're saying the greatest truth is that we've got to reach everyone for Jesus. We wanna reach everyone for you. God, I pray that we would be missionaries in 2021 and beyond, 
That's what you're looking for. That's what you're asking for. Go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel. We receive that call. We ask for that heart. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.